health equity. It can't be something that everyone's doing to the community. <laughs> they have to be a part of it so that it's a groundswell, that we're investing in educating really an army. Hello and welcome to Hymnscast. I'm Susan Morse, Executive Editor of Healthcare Finance News. I am here today with Dr. Cheryl Rucker Whitaker, who is founder and CEO of Complete Care Management Partners. She's also a health equity expert. Welcome, Dr. Rucker Whitaker. Susan, thank you so much for having me today. Glad to be here. Can you start by telling us about Complete Care Management Partners and what it does, please? Yes, I can. So, so we are a, a community-oriented care coordination and care management company. Uh, we are focused on Medicaid, and we're focused on being in the community and helping um, those individuals connect to the benefits that they're eligible for, but also we, we work with folks who have multiple chronic conditions, and so we are working to get them connected to care that they feel that they can uh, care providers that they can actually really work with, not just someone they're assigned to, but we really work hard to match them with the primary care provider and hopefully improve their outcomes, quality, and experience with the healthcare system. Yeah, and what health inequities are you seeing there? Well, you know, what's really important here is to know that we started right at the heat of the pandemic. We started pre-vaccine um, at the top of 2021. And at that time, you know, we were really not only focused on care management, because as you know, a lot of, there was a fair amount of decrease in healthcare utilization in, in all populations, right? But particularly vulnerable populations. So we were making sure to be in contact with our people with diabetes, who are living with high blood pressure, congestive heart failure, renal failure, being sure they got to the various appointments to the extent that those appointments were available, right? But the second thing was we were nose down on educating and outreaching about the COVID-19 vaccine. And we were working to connect people to sites in the community that were offering the vaccine. So when you talk about, we say, well, hey, what health inequities that you see, I, I have to, to say that during COVID, during the sort of at the height of the pandemic pre-vaccine, getting access to good information was an extraordinary inequity uh, in communities uh, affected. And then getting to the vaccine when it was available. Um, you know, we worked largely in the Chicago land area, you know, deep in the south, deep on the west side of Chicago, and people being able to access that and there being a system in place to get you to those vaccines was an incredible, uh, inequitable experience for many of uh, our members and for many people in the community. That's, um, uh, I, I've heard this. I'm wondering if you can talk maybe a little more in depth about why was it such difficulty? Is it transportation? Is it communicating by phone? Is it texting? What, what are the difficulties there? Well, you know, I think one of the things I hope we learn from this, and, you know, uh, if you're, uh, you know, in the, the space of uh, healthcare in general, there's this thing called a business continuity plan, that if your systems went out, how long would it take you to get back up? How would you communicate with your employees? And many companies have a policy and a procedure around such. This was an emergency situation. It caught us, caught us all off guard we had no business continuity practice in place for the most vulnerable populations. Yeah. So that's what, you know, I hope that I'll see going forward is number one, 
communication. How do you get good information out there that's not like telephone? We had face, we had social media playing in because anybody, Susan, I kind of mm-hmm. joke around. I'm like, wow, we, we mentioned all kind of MDs or doctors. During. <laughs> People were giving medical advice based on how they felt versus, you know, what based on the best clinical evidence that we had at the time, uh, we made decisions to the best best way we could based on what we knew. So I feel like there was a real breakdown in communication. There was a real breakdown in the um, availability of good information um, to, to to the people that we're talking about. And so I feel like that's a really great opportunity if that's a, if we could fill that hole going forward. And that's yeah. something I think that needs to be a part of the public health uh, armamentarium going forward, right? We're, there, there's a lot of funds now out for uh, educating community health workers and, um, you know, creating new pathways to, mm-hmm. to people getting the care. We're building this community health worker legion. They could be the ground zero, for example, for good information, Right. Good communication uh, practices that we sort of practice with that group of people that we're educating really in mass across the United States. Yeah. Um, and I heard this from the CCMP. I believe I got this from the site that African-Americans are 50 percent more likely to have a stroke. And I was just amazed by that statistic. Is that true? And um, why is this? What's what's happening here? Well, well, we pulled that information straight from the American Stroke Association yeah. <laughs> and the American Heart Association, right? Uh, sort of websites and, and information that they make available. You know, there's a few things going on and it gets to the root of, of the health inequity experience, right? One is good, com- good, good communication about what is a stroke and what are the warning signs of stroke. And recently I've been hearing more in my community because i lived on the South side of Chicago for 25 years. And so, you know, I look at the, what's on the ads for the billboards, what's mm-hmm. on the bus billboards, what are people hearing on the radio? Really don't, you really don't hear anything about what are those warning signs from credible um, people that you trust. I think that's also important. Who's bringing the message is important. Yeah. Um, yeah. So people understand what the signs of a stroke are so that they can act quickly to get to, a place where they can get good treatment. So that's number one. But are those places in their communities that's can be a prop that can be a problem, right? If there's a desert for stroke centers that can implement the stroke protocol immediately, that's going to be a problem. So that means you have inequitable access to the best treatment that would, you know, leave you not uh, suffering a great disability from the stroke. But the second thing is going deeper is the access and availability to good prevention treatment. Treatment for high blood pressure, number one, really. Mm -hmm. Um, How do we create the opportunity for people to access good, culturally appropriate and attentive treatment for their blood pressure, for their diabetes? It can't just be, oh, just hear what I'm, listen to what I say and take this medicine. People are questioning medicines, right? They're like, well, what is this medicine? Do I have to have to be on it forever? Yeah. Why do I have to be on it forever? And I think we need to figure, have like a real campaign around educating people about what high blood pressure is, what the treatment requires, so that really down the line, 20, 30 years later, we're not seeing these, you know, really high um, incidences of stroke in the in these communities. So it's communication. Uh, is education, is access. And then, Susan, one of the things I'm going to say once, I'm going to say it again, 
health equity is something that communities need to participate in. It can't be something done to you. (laughs) (laughs) Communities have to be engaged at the ground level. I give the go back to the community health worker as an example of someone on the ground level. I talk about the team members that Complete Care has on the ground, like we have people with masters in social work, licensed clinical social workers, et cetera. There needs to be that kind of interdisciplinary layer of community-oriented uh, individuals, not just doctors, right? This is not about doctors, in my opinion. This is about the people on the ground having a, a, a reasonable amount of factual um, vetted information <laughs> that they are sharing with their communities, but they have to believe it too. And that's, you know, to be honest, something we found with COVID, you know, we did have people in my company who said, well, I don't believe in us. I said, whoa, 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 we're a public health oriented company. So we got to be thoughtful about educating that ground level of folks so that we can change some of the practices at the community level. So this is not about what goes on in a doctor's office as much as what's going on at the community level. Once a person has a realization for what type of care they need, now it, now access becomes an issue because do they have access to that level of care that's required? Got it. So it has to be somebody they trust. That's yeah. trust is, is really a foundational component here. And, and that get back to what I said about health equity. It can't be something that everyone's doing to the community. <laughs> they have to be a part of it so that it's a groundswell that we're investing in educating really an army, community health workers, people who are doing social work at the community level, um, uh, other people who would be involved in the care coordination and care management process, um, people who they interact with on discharge and that's some of the frontline nursing staff and teams. All of those people need to be a part of the health equity equation. And when we're funding initiatives, uh, Susan, we need to include representative uh, vendors from that community because we want the solutions to be culturally and appropriately applied. So there's not a mismatch and there's not a disconnect. Yeah. Um, All good points. Thank you. Um, I wanted to switch gears and talk about the data now that's required because the CMS administrator said at HIMSS 22, achieving health equity requires a data connected healthcare system. And do you agree with that? And what data is missing to achieve health equity? You know, Susan, this is a great question, and you really need to keep asking this question because I, it's something, the amount, first, the amount of data that's currently available is really overwhelming. <laughs> there is an yeah. overwhelming amount of data already available. So there's just two points here for, for, from my perspective. There's a ton of data, and we're not using it. <laughs> A lot of it we're not. So there's a lot of data already there. So to the the, the director's point, uh, two things. Number one, uh, you know, NCQA is sounds like listening as well. They're now just starting to ask plans um, to start collecting data on race and ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that that's one of the markers. It's not always now connected, but many times it is for poor outcomes. So we have, we must be able to ask the question and answer it. Once we answer the question, then we can use the available data to fashion interventions that match to what those communities needs are. So I 100% agree that data connected. So data, we have the data and then we connect it to an intervention. And then we hold ourselves accountable for those endpoints that we're measuring as a result of, of that data being collected. 
So 100% agree with that. I like the fact that the that NCQA is all is you know getting involved, so it's not going to stretch across all of the health plans. Number two, we we get access to data. We are buying these big data solutions, but new workflows to re- respond to that data are still still need to catch up. So I'm give you an example. In the state of Illinois, the state purchased the a solution for admission, discharge, and data transfer feeds. So that's any facility you're in. If you if you are leaving that facility or coming in, uh, we can see that in real time. Mm-hmm. Transformational data, correct? But if we're calling a hospital saying, Hospital A, uh, Mr. Smith is coming out tomorrow. He's under our care. We're ready to care coordinate and, and facilitate a smooth transition back to home but we can't get anybody on the phone. <laughs> they haven't seen, and, and so they haven't seen the CMT tool. It's not in their workflow. Yeah. So transition of care, discharge planning, a place where there is a, very, there is a, a really what we call low-hanging fruit to, to have a dramatic improvement uh, is, is not, in all cases not ready to receive or has not implemented available data into their workflow that would actually help them do their jobs. So if we're on the outside looking in saying, hey, we can see Mr. Smith just showed up in the ER, call us because we can help you. Uh, If he's coming for a hypertension med refill, he's coming because he needs more insulin. Hey, he has a primary care doctor. Let us help warm handoff this individual to us and we will help connect them. So we have an extraordinary amount of data available but again, to your point, Susan, it's not connected. So it's not connected to a workflow that could absolutely drive a positive or improved outcome for the person that we're talking about. Got it. Thank you, Dr. Rucker Whitaker. It's been a pleasure speaking with you uh, for Hemscast, and it's been very informative. Thank you. Thank you so much, Susan. I really enjoy being here today. <laughs>